Hello and welcome to Entrepreneur, the podcast that's all about the untold stories behind business. I'm Robin Vinter and you are listening to episode four. If you missed the first three episodes, you can catch them on iTunes or SoundCloud. Just search Entrepreneur. Okay, so things you need when starting a business. Time, money, knowledge, contacts. These are what we generally consider the cornerstones of any startup. It's easy to say you don't have enough of one or all of these to launch your business. You often hear, I'd love to do this, but I just don't have time. Or, I've had this really great idea, but I don't have any money to get it going. It's a real issue, there's no denying that. And these are the kind of things which can delay a startup by years or even stop people ever launching their own business. But to help put this into perspective, I met somebody who had absolutely none of these assets when she arrived in London 24 years ago as a refugee. Susie Ambrose now has four businesses with a combined turnover of more than £12 million and a property portfolio worth £5 million. Today's episode is about how all that happened. But it was um, early 90s and the war was looming in my country. Um, there was not uh, sort of um, any prosperity. Only thing you can see as a young person, I was 25, uh, I could see just sort of a tragedy <laughs> uh, ahead of me. Um, and I was um, very much interested in um, psychology and psychoanalysis. Um, so the, the thought now of all this combination of being a war coming and uh, uh, psychoanalysis was something that uh, they didn't recognize in my country in those days. Um, there was no jobs, nothing. Uh, or the obvious kind of solution for me was to leave. The uh, okay, it was crazy to leave the way how I left. <laughs> but then, when you look today, this we have a crisis at the moment with Syrian refugees. You don't exactly have a choice um, when you are about to, when you are desperate and uh, you want to go, you go. Uh, and uh, that was me. I literally left with uh, one suitcase. I had fifty Deutschmarks at the time. I think it was equivalent maybe to like 30 pounds, uh, didn't speak English, hardly any, uh, and didn't know anyone in London, uh, but I just being young, crazy person, I just sort of uh, probably just believed in something. If you ask me now what, I wouldn't be able to tell you what, I just believed in something. That's how Susie ended up in London in March of 1992. Despite not knowing a soul here, the UK capital had a strong appeal. London always uh, attracted me, uh, probably for literature, as you read, as you grow, you know, you read about, you know, English literature and you like it. And plus, uh, of course, Freud was here and uh, I kind of thought about it. Oh, if I make it and if I have money to study one day, I can, I can read Freud, um, I can study um, psychoanalytic studies. Uh, so that was the um, main catalyst that drove me to come to London. There was like nothing for me interesting in Germany, let's say, or nothing interesting in France. Uh, there were a few more uh, interesting aspects that I liked about London. I did not have a plan, though, how I'm going to <laughs> achieve those things, but I just knew that I had to arrive and see, see what's happen- what happens. 
And did you feel at the time that it was a big risk or were you, were you just... No, not at all. Not at all. I was absolutely not aware. Uh, not aware that anything could happen to me. Um, not not aware that it was soon, very soon, I'll be first time in my life, literally hungry, few times and few occasions, not having... Because even though, my, you know, we lived in communism, still my parents had to pay for electricity. But then you end up in London as a... Because soon after, immediately, the war broke uh, and we became refugees. Um, you are now on your own and you have to pay gas and you have to pay electricity and you have to pay everything. In April 1992, only a month after Susie landed in London, war broke out in Yugoslavia and under the Geneva Convention, she was officially a refugee. There was no going back. She wanted to become a psychoanalyst, but obviously it's not the kind of thing you just walk into. I went through uh, babysitting, uh, being a carer, uh, you know, night shifts, you know, I don't know, working in estate agents, uh, you know, all sorts. The only thing I avoided, uh, it was uh, bar work, <laughs> which all, all my friends have experience in. Uh, I, I was uh, the only one who... Uh, still doesn't have uh, working at the bar, pub or a bar experience. Uh, but no, 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 not at all, not at all. Uh, well, first of all, my English was very bad uh, to even contemplate going to study. So at first, that had to be sort of sorted out. Learn English first. Over the course of two years, she learned English. I was um, determined, so all the money that I would uh, manage to save up a little bit, I would go to communities, community, community, uh, I, I don't know how they called, I don't know if they, if they still exist, but they were like community houses where there were volunteers and you can learn computer skills, English skills, it was for free. Um, so that's how I, and of course then b back home on my own. And then when I was babysitting, literally I was with those little toddlers re reading toddler books, book, green, left, right. So actually, uh, I know it sounds funny, but uh, it actually was good because that's how they learn English. So I thought, well, I may as well learn English with them. Uh, so during the day as I was babysitting, I would... Uh, read uh, together with these little little kids with toddlers that I was looking after and then um, in the evenings if I was uh, looking after an elderly person then uh, you know how elderly are always lovely they always want to help so then they, we would read and they would teach me how to write and all that and then I would uh, attend evening classes so it was a it was a tough going from this perspective now now when I have a child you would I would freak out basically that my daughter goes through this. But when you are in that situation, you just go through the motion. There is no much kind of philosophizing about it. You just there, there's the situation, and you just deal with the situation. Despite its reputation within the UK as an unfriendly place, Susie says Londoners were very welcoming and the city felt safe. I uh, fallen in love uh, with London in the first two months, and that love is still there. I absolutely, absolutely love London um, every I get shocked when people say about I don't know people being reserved and cold because these people actually helped me um, uh, I had to go and knock on many doors and uh, 
everywhere that I knocked from, I don't know, social services to education, institutions, everywhere there were helpful people who have given me guidance what to do um, and where to go next. So, uh, of course, yes, my, my love today is more looking in the cultural way of London and being so international and so wide and open-minded. Uh, but then uh, it really, really looked like a safe heaven, really, for somebody coming from communism, from a very, very different system, uh, where it's a police-run country, where police is there to protect the government and you are just a, sort of a pawn in the whole game. This sort of freedom to ex see the freedom on the streets in the 90s when I arrived, it was absolutely mesmerizing. I was absolutely taken by it and still, as I said, I, I love that feeling uh, we travel a lot and I love that feeling of going home and London is home. The entrepreneurial itch wasn't exactly on her mind when she was training as a psychotherapist. While I was studying, I was more occupied by uh, a sort of survival, uh, if you like, because it was too much. I had to work and study because I had bills to pay and life to live. So I was more sort of occupied and, in a, in a, if you like, in a panic and stress of fulfilling those two aspects, working and making sure that I study, that I finish in time. So, um, uh, but of course I was meeting in, uh, people who were having their own businesses, so I, I already started listening uh, and hearing, uh, I don't know, there was a couple that I looked after, an elderly couple, their son was a big businessman, so for example, I would, as I was looking after them in the evenings working, I would listen to the stories, they would tell me how he started and um, how, you know, his journey. So yes, I started being sort of alert and aware, uh, but personally, I at that point, uh, no, I was not uh, imagining that pretty soon. <laughs> That would be me. <laughs> when she qualified, she very quickly realised that she wanted to start her own private practice. I started uh, first as a real psychotherapist in NHS, and uh, even though I'm, uh, I don't know, I, I see myself the only one, the proudest person of NHS on the planet. <laughs> I'm so proud of our NHS. Um, uh, I didn't like the um, sort of uh, uh, how things were run. Um, I started getting, getting frustrated. Um, um, I knew that I'm so, so junior and so far away from uh, reaching any senior manager position. Um, and um, uh, we're, we're talking probably in about a space of a year. Um, I already decided that I'm just going to go and uh, start my own private practice, uh, even though I knew it was going to be very, very difficult and dangerous, it's different, you're on an NHS, you have your salary, you have your job, you can even have your meal at the hospital, <laughs> uh, but there was something that I wasn't, wasn't happy about and that I wanted something much, much more. That became the Ambrose Clinic, which to this day specialises in substance abuse and other psychological disorders. Susie's still CEO and oversees the business. While she was running the clinic, she came upon another idea, an exclusive matchmaking service. 7030 was brought out of a male client who was in a session, who was good-looking and single, 
<laughs> then he prompted me to start thinking, why are you single? <laughs> he was 40 at the time. Um, and an uh, aristocratic gentleman, uh, very dynamic, very interesting, good looking, and um, uh, that sort of kind of lit a little light in my head. Started thinking, thinking about it, and even started discussing with him. Uh, and then in the evenings, um, I just, as I suppose, as any other entrepreneurs, I did a started doing a little research and I realized that there is a gap in the market uh, and there is no agency that caters for exclusively for that niche uh, clientele, successful, affluent, uh, doesn't use psychology as a base um, of matchmaking uh, and that's how 7030 was born. Rather than sitting on the idea, she began planning straight away and was up and running within four months. You could see that I'm, I, I was very hooked. I was really hooked about it. Something was driving me. Um, many people were stopping me, telling me, oh, come on, you know, you have a great job, uh, you have a great career. Um, this is a bit, come on, this is ridiculous, you know, dating agency. And then I would, I would correct them, it's not dating agency, it's matchmaking agency. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so it was really, um, you know, it was, I don't know, I was absolutely, absolutely obsessed with it. Uh, I probably it's a feeling I suppose it's like chemistry like with people fall in love with somebody so that's how I fall in love with my idea and uh, I was right to see it through I was totally right Now in 2015 refugee seems like a completely alien word to use to describe this glamorous woman whose Knightsbridge office is literally opposite Harrods But with tenacity and hard work, Susie has built her business empire, which also includes software investments and a luxury swimwear brand, from absolutely nothing to something most of us would only dream of. There wasn't actually an agenda behind the timing of this week's podcast, though admittedly I would be pleased if Susie's story changed some people's minds about refugees given the current crisis. If nothing else though, it does show what can be achieved without those key things, time, money, knowledge and contacts. That's it for episode four. Thanks again this week to the team at London Loves Business. The music we used in today's podcast is by 5-2-Tocero. I'm probably saying that wrong. And you can find them on SoundCloud. If you like this episode, please, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Also, check out our website at londonlovesbusiness.com, which features a story from this week's podcast, along with all our other business news and features. Finally, if you're an entrepreneur with a tale to tell and want to be featured in an upcoming episode on the next series of Entrepreneurd, drop us an email at entrepreneurd at londonlovesbusiness.com as we're always on the lookout for news stories. Thanks and see you next week.